our gracious God, come, draw, draw us near. Convict by your word, because you know every soul here in this place and all those participating with us by watching and listening in, Lord, you know each and every one. So come and draw and convict for what we each need and give life, Lord God, where we are are sown up in our own death and fill where we are empty. Feed us today. Be glorified here, we ask, as you have been. Let us continue to rejoice and celebrate you. Be glorified, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. One of the times that uh, I was in Ethiopia, we had arrived on a Sunday, and uh, on our drive from the airport, I was uh, making small talk with uh, one of the pastors, actually, uh, th this man was um, very well revered in Ethiopia. Other pastors looked to this pastor, uh, and he had uh, been given the job because his English was quite good to, uh, to deal with the Americans uh, who had come over. And so he was one of our translators, one of our, one of our guides uh, for the time of our training and the workshops that we'd be doing there uh, for the next week and a half. In the midst of the, uh, of the ride in the van, just some little get-to-know-you chit-chat, I asked him, so what'd you do yesterday? And he said, oh, well, you know, we had a prayer meeting. And I said, oh, okay, and then, you know, well, how'd that go? You know, it was good, and chatted about that. And then the conversation moved on to some other things, and so a little bit later, I circled back with him, and I said, um, so well, what else uh, did you do yesterday? Uh, he, he smiled, and he was very patient, and it was clear that the American didn't quite, quite get it. He, he didn't quite get how things worked there in the Ethiopian church when um, they had a prayer meeting. And so he, he very patiently went on to inform me, no, no, you don't understand. We had a prayer meeting yesterday. We, we had a prayer meeting all day yesterday because that's what we do. Uh, they, in fact, not only have a prayer meeting that is a day-long prayer meeting, uh, they do that on the same Saturday every month. So on that Saturday every month, as many as who are willing of their body gather together and they have a prayer meeting all day. In fact, it's not just a prayer meeting, it's a day of prayer and fasting that they do on the same Saturday of every month. It is no wonder then that the Ethiopian church is marked by profound faith. I mean, I, I knew some things about the Bible and had some training that maybe some of these pastors and church leaders had not had the, the privilege to have access to, uh, but these men run circles around them in their faith. And is it a wonder? They are marked by sharing the gospel passionately and regularly and confidently. You see, they have habits, habits of worship and prayer and fasting that help to shape them, and the impact is clearly seen in their lives, I would argue. It is said, your decisions create choices, choices create habits, and habits shape a life, right? So what are your habits? What are my habits? Yahweh gave Israel habits, if you will. He gave them memorials. Some of them were commanded annually. Some of them were prompted by iterative life events. But at certain times of the year or at certain stages in their life, 
there were opportunities, in fact, there were ordinances for them to mark who they were and be reminded about their identity, and it shaped their lives. Today, we come to a passage where we find three continuing ordinances or memorials that are all given as the nation is leaving its bondage in Egypt. One of the three is repeated from before. The second of the three, or another of the three, is expanded from before. And the third, and actually it is the third, this morning of the three, is new. Hadn't been given before this. They are commanded there at this scene as they're coming out of Egypt, and they will continue throughout the history of the nation of Israel so that Exodus doesn't just become something where nostalgically they hear a little bit about. No, Exodus actually is meant to become a living part of the life of faith that shapes the nation of Israel for its entire existence. It's a habit. It's a memorial. And it makes a difference. In each of these ordinances, circumcision for Passover, that one's already been given, but now a new connection is made. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, that one has already been given a couple of times just here in Exodus. It's just reiterated. And then finally, the redemption of the firstborn, that one is new. In each of these three ordinances, memorials, there is a promise. There is a word of hope. They are told, this is what you will do, and this is how you'll do it when you get into the land. Imagine the hope for that generation, and imagine how important that's going to be, because, well, within hours, Pharaoh's army is going to come after them. But then, it's okay pretty quickly, because they get on the other side, and there's that whole Red Sea drowning thing. But then what? An entire older generation will never see the land, not with their eyes. They will live out their days in faith. They will never see the land with their own eyes. But you know what? They will look back throughout the rest of their lifetime and say, Yahweh said, when you get into the land, this is how you'll do it. So I know we're going to make it, honey. Maybe not me. Maybe not you. But our kids will get there. This is a memorial practice that they carry throughout their generations to regularly give them hope like that. Whether they see the glories of the Lord in their day or they die in faith, as so many did as recited in Hebrews 11. They are meant to be kept and these memorials are meant to shape them for generations to come. So let's learn from them this morning and let's ask for the Lord to similarly shape up, shape us. We'll look first at the Passover requirement of circumcision where we learn, be genuinely set apart to God. Be genuinely set apart to God. Pick up in Exodus 12, starting in verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it, but every man's slave purchased with money. After you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. 
the same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns among you. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that same day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Pause there. Question here for you and for me is, will you and I be marked out for the Lord? Or will we be a people who just kind of like to blend in with the crowd? You know what's great about living in 2022 here in our culture in this day? It's becoming harder and harder to blend in. And that's a great thing. Saw this wonderful little comic that, uh, as, as good comics do, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. And uh, the first comic was the way it was. And there's two guys standing over here and one guy over here. And the one guy's got a t-shirt on, and it says something like believer. And the guy over here by himself uh, says something like non-believer. Uh, and the second guy who's by the believer guy, his t-shirt says something like uh, wishy-washy believer. And these two guys are standing together, the believer and the wishy-washer guy. And it says the way it was. And then the second one says the way it is. And you know what the picture looks like in the second panel, don't you? One guy by himself and the other two guys together. It's getting harder and harder to blend in. Do you think the Lord is surprised by that? you think the Lord is wringing his hands over that? I might at times. It can be scary. Even more so for some of you in your place of employment where you work and the choices you have to make about where your conscience is going to call you to stand or to speak or to refrain, places you can't go because you say, I am not my own, I am bought with a price. Will you be genuinely set apart to God? Four observations from our passage this morning that, Lord willing, I hope will help shape us. First, I want you to note the benefits the benefits, what I mean first is the benefits of being among believers, because that's the context into which this is given at this point, and it's the context that is given for the nation going forward. When they come into the promised land, there will be people who just dig hanging out with the Israelites, that dig hanging out in Israel, even though they are not Israelites. What are some of the benefits of being among believers? Well, let me come back to that. First, just notice there will be non-Israelites among Israelites. 43, there it is. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat it. So within their nation, there were and would be foreigners. Drop down to 45. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat it. That's the Passover. They would not be allowed to partake in the Passover celebration that happened for the entire nation. They were people who were among the believers, but were not the believers. Nahum Sarna, a, uh, a Hebrew scholar, speaks a little bit about what some of the benefits were to just hang out with Israelites in ancient Israel. He said, the stranger in Israel enjoyed numerous rights and privileges, such as benefits of the Sabbath rest. Your employer wouldn't make you work on the Sabbath. You live in another country, you may work seven days a week. The protection afforded by the cities of refuge, which also, by the way, connected with the law and ensured that you received justice. Access to a share of certain tithes and to the produce of the sabbatical year. 
A non-Israelite could offer some sacrifices, in fact, if he so pleased. He also, at the same time, was obligated to refrain from certain actions that undermine the social, moral, and spiritual well-being of society. But guess what? So were all of his neighbors. So in other words, everybody agreed to live by a certain moral and social code. You think that might be a slight benefit to a society? One that Nahum Sarna doesn't even mention here is just the fact of living under the rule of law, the good rule of law. That is a very good thing. So many other nations in that day and even in ours live under despotic tyrants, right? I remember Tom Young, if you remember him and Joan, he and Joan, they were missionaries to Nigeria. Do I have it right? Is it Nigeria? Thanks, several people nodding their heads. Thank you for about seven years. He said, um, it's not until you get out of the United States and you find yourself in a culture that is not under the rule of law that you begin to appreciate how great it is. Nations that don't live by the rule of law live by the rule of power and might and under tyrants and despots, right? What a blessing it was. The benefits of being a non-believer among believers. You know what? There are some people today who just like to hang out with Christians. Oh, I don't believe all that stuff. They all have their imaginary friend. <laughs> Whatever. They talk to Jesus all the time. But you know what? I like them. I mean, they're simple-minded. But I like the Christians, right? I mean, for the most part, they're trying to have a positive impact. And if they mess up, I mean, they're usually willing to admit it. For the most part, they don't cheat, they don't steal, and they make decent neighbors. Some people just like to mingle and fit in. But Moses says, Yahweh proclaims, that's not going to be enough. Passover is given as a marker. So he says, every year you shall know where your neighbor stands, and you shall be called to account in your conscience before the Lord to consider where do you stand. Be genuinely set apart to God. Note the benefits. Second, notice the restriction. The restriction of those who are not yet in covenant with Yahweh, of those who are not yet consecrated to Yahweh as an act of their will by their own choice. They are eliminated. Here's the restriction, 44. Every man's Slave purchased with money. Wait, do I have the right one? No, I don't have the right one. I just read 43 and 45. The foreigner, the sojourner, the hired one. They are not to share in the Passover because they haven't been circumcised. Why is circumcision so important? Well, because Genesis chapter 17, when it was first given to Abram, God said, by this sign, they shall know that you're in covenant with me. By this sign, you shall be marked as being mine. Genesis 17, you should jot this down, if not even turn there. Genesis 17, verses 10 and 11. Here's what God said to Abraham. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Is that not clear? This is the sign of the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. No one who had not gone through the teaching and the commitment and the obedience to the law and eventually then in full agreement 
and an act of their will to be circumcised, no one, having not done that, could join in the Passover celebration. By the way, what is the mark of the covenant today? You say, we don't have one. Yeah, we do. It's baptism. Baptism is the sign and the symbol of the new covenant. It is how we are marked as being the Lord's. Now, the reality of being born again is when the Spirit comes in and regenerates and the Spirit baptizes a person. By the way, I'm not going to get wild-eyed Pentecostal this morning. Baptism of the Spirit is just the reality of what happens to every true believer at the moment of salvation. And so everyone who truly knows the Lord is baptized into Christ. Water baptism is the sign and the symbol of that covenant to mark the person out. So for some of you this morning, one consideration might be, have I thought lightly of baptism? Maybe I truly have placed my faith in Christ, but I've either never considered it or I've maybe never been ready yet, but maybe today the Lord is calling you to be genuinely set apart to God by coming in believer's baptism and making a public proclamation. No one who hasn't come under the blood of Christ and been circumcised in heart then is invited to take of that which is the new covenant Passover. What's the new covenant Passover? Answer, communion. And Brian, by the way, did a great job with this just moments ago. He asked the question, didn't he, of whether or not you know that you know Christ. If you don't, then the taking of communion is pointless. In fact, the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup is to eat and drink judgment to yourself, 1 Corinthians 11 says, if you don't yet know Christ. So we'd like to help people to not heap more judgment upon themselves. So we rightly and kindly say, please don't feel any compulsion if you're here and you don't yet know Christ. You're in the right place to learn of him. But don't feel the need to partake of this. You are not invited. There is a restriction so that every man and every woman's conscience can be clear be genuinely set apart to God. What I want you to notice, and we can read this with 21st century eyes, these words, foreigner, right? Uh, stranger, maybe your translation has, and it says that no stranger is to eat of it. Well, this sounds racist. No, this isn't a matter of race. This is a matter of grace, isn't it? This isn't a matter of where you're born and who your parents are. It's a matter of whether or not you're in covenant with the one true God. Which leads to the third thing to note about being genuinely set apart. There's the benefits, the restriction, and then there's the offer. There is the offer of covenant grace to all. You don't have to be an Israelite to celebrate the Passover. That's an extremely important point to understand. Verses uh, 47 and 48. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate but if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near to celebrate it. God gave a path for all of those of the mixed multitude who came out with Israel in the, in, uh, out of Egypt in those coming years and generations if they would so desire. You know, there's a mixed multitude of people who not only saw the plagues in Egypt, they would see the crossing of the Red Sea. They would walk through on dry ground with their own feet. You think any of those thought, you know what? This guy might be for real. But you know, 
what they had to do? They had to come under the blood. And they had to choose to agree with the covenants. And that entire process would remind them from the very beginning, it has always been God's plan to call to himself and to set apart a people for himself. And so today, there is the offer, the free offer of the gospel, which is covenant grace, to believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. It does not matter who your parents are, where you come from, what your racial background is. Come under the blood of Christ, be born again, be given a new heart. You say, why? I'm so afraid because I don't think I would make a good Christian. I'm sure you'll make a terrible Christian left to yourself. And so will I and every one of us. But that's why he gives us a new heart and gives us his spirit. The offer of covenant grace. And then finally, notice the outcome of all of this, of one who is genuinely set apart. I want you to see the enfolding. The enfolding into the community. Look, it's there, verse 46. Speaking of the Passover, for all of those who are circumcised and then celebrate it, Verse 46, it is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. Now, that's extremely important for the night that Passover happened. It wasn't like, well, you know, hey, this has been fun. Thanks for the party. Really good mutton. I think I'll go wander the streets. And by the way, I'll take a leg of lamb with me. Great. I, you don't want to be caught in the street when the death angel comes. No, you're to stay in the house. You're, you're enfolded into a household by that, by that celebrating together, which is, by the way, a, a picture of what communion is meant to do for us, that we agree together, that we come under the, the blood of the Lamb, and we come together. And, and you can read uh, Ephesians 4, and you can read um, the Corinthians passage, you know, and when it talks about, you know, one loaf and, and one body and one people. That were, that were gathered in one sacrifice, Hebrews, all of these passages about how we are united together. We are enfolded into community. Notice the protection in verse 46. How do I know that everybody is accounted for? Um, hey, Mom, I'm going to uh, spend Thanksgiving at Johnny's house. Fine. Um, hey, Mom, I'm going to spend Passover at Johnny's house. No, not good enough. You will be home with us where we can make sure that you don't die. Everyone is accounted for. You're not to bring any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. Exodus doesn't tell us exactly why those regulations, um, likely it has to do with the sanctity of the meal itself, right? It, it probably has something to do with the idea of wholeness, of the celebration, not breaking any bone. We do know that the Lord Jesus Christ in John 19 died, and even after death, his bones were unbroken in fulfillment of this as the Passover lamb, right? We know Jesus fulfilled this. We're just not entirely sure why when it was originally given, it was given to begin with, but there is a wholeness there. And Christ just checked all the boxes. What care that God gave to fulfill his own commands isn't that cool? Again, notice the enfolding uh, a second time. Look at 48 and 49. I'll start with 47. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. Here's what you need to understand in verse 47 in context. What does it mean, all the congregation of Israel? Answer, 
it's not just Israelites because he's just said, and he's about to say again, it's all racial Israelites and all converted to Israel Israelites. All of Israel is to celebrate it. Is that not cool or what? If a stranger sojourns with you, 48, celebrates Passover, let his males be circumcised, then let him come near to celebrate it. And here, here it is, the enfolding, the enfolding. He shall be like a native of the land. You know what's so cool in Israel? There's, there's not two levels of, of, you know, believers. It's like, well, there's like your run-of-the-mill Israelite, and then there's your really spiritual Israelites. You know, there's, there's, there's your Israelites who, you know, came from other countries, and then your, there's your Israel Israelites. No. No. They shall be like a native of the land. Any question about whether or not that's what it means? 49. The same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns with you. If you are an Israelite boy uncircumcised, you may not celebrate the Passover because the same law applies to you. And in fact, if you were to celebrate it uncircumcised, uh, the judgment for that is to be cut off from the nation of Israel. Same law applies to both. Not two standards, one standard. Will you be genuinely set apart unto God? You and I are to be folded in and to have full membership. So, in addition to what I've already mentioned, what are some ways that we might consider this today? Well, pause at this point and consider, are you in Christian community? I know lives are busy, and many times in the midst of just trying to do family and do work and do life, it's so easy to find ourselves disconnected from the community of God, but are you in fellowship? Because that's where you're meant to be. We are meant to have regular memorials, regular reminders. Here's where I preach to the choir, right? This is why we come on Sunday mornings, to be reminded. I love, I love um, uh, Ted Tripp's, uh, no, uh, it's the other trip. Paul, thank you. Um, uh, I love Paul Tripp's New Morning Mercies devotional, because about once a month, he will have one entry in his daily devotional that will basically say, this is why you go to church. <laughs> this is the point of corporate worship. It is a memorial. We don't do this because some person thought it up. The Lord said, sanctify to me the first day of the week, right? Keep it as a memorial for me. So we do it in community. How about just individually? What are your regular times of fellowship? Where do you find fellowship outside of Sunday mornings? If there are no other places, that you find fellowship outside of Sunday mornings, then I would wager, if I were a betting man, that your spiritual life is suffering as a result. Right? Are you regular in worship? Guys, my, I, I cut my teeth as a, as a non-church-going, growing Christian. Right? To me, it was all about campus ministry. I looked at church as the place where all the second-class Christians, like, they go to church. But we, we're the Green Beret. We're out here on the college campus. We're sharing the gospel. We're discipling people. We are where the action is. But I can look back at seasons of my life. If I wasn't regular in church, in worship with the Lord, I suffered. And in seasons that I was, I benefited. And I just took it for granted. I didn't think much of it. It wasn't until many years later that I looked back and I thought, hmm, I wonder if those two things kind of go, you know, hand in hand like that. 
Where are your protective and renewing gatherings? That's what worship is meant to be. That's what small group accountability partners, that's what quiet time is all meant to be. Be genuinely set apart to God. If you are a lone ranger, you will not last. You are never designed to go it alone. Be genuinely second apart, set apart to God. Second, second, let's look at the feast, the feast of unleavened bread. This has already been given in Exodus, but it's mentioned here again. Uh, here we learn, join in your sanctification through definite action. Join in your sanctification through definite action. The work of salvation is a work of God to pursue us, to woo us, to teach us, to convict us, to open our eyes, and to allow us to see Christ where we can do no other but respond and say, give me him because I want you. That's the work of salvation. Sanctification is a partnership. Sanctification requires our obedience. God says, I will make you holy, but as we partner in obedience, as we choose not to grieve the Spirit, then we grow more Christ-like. Here, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a definite action. Pick up with me in chapter 13, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. By the way, side note, verses 1 and 2, he's going to come back to the firstborn in our last section, 11 through 16. So I'm going to skip 1 and 2 just for the time being. Here is Feast of Unleavened Bread, starting verse 3. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And nothing leavened shall be eaten. On this day in the month of Abib, you are about to go forth. It shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall observe this right in this month. See the hope, see the promise, right, that I was talking about? Six, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days. Nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders. You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. Pause there. God gave them the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've already seen it before. But what God is doing here is he's giving them patterns of life. He's giving them memorials in Israel that are meant to shape them. And there are three definite actions mentioned here so that they can participate actively in their sanctification. First, Yahweh gave them an event to remember, an event to remember. That's what verse 3 is. Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt. And then he talks about in verse 4, on this day in the month of Abib. And then down in verse 6, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It starts with the Passover night and then continues for the next seven days. By the way, if you're confused between Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's because you're paying attention. They, they go together, right? And sometimes they're referred to all as one or the other. But technically, Passover is the night and unleavened bread is the week. But sometimes the whole thing is called the Passover week or whatever. 
There is a salvation that they are to commemorate. Verse 8 is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. What do you do today? What do you do in your life to remember the day of your salvation? The day of your conversion? Communion is meant to be one of those for us. We do many different things in communion, but often that moment we, we share in corporately, but individually it's a time also to bow and remember what he's done just, just for me. They, they eat the matzah all week. They're given a special nourishment, aren't they, that week? Different from what they eat all the rest of the year to remind them that, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a special food that comes from the Lord. And communion is a time to commemorate that. What a, what a good command Yahweh has given his people that he has given them an event to remember this week every year of how they were saved. Second, I want you to notice he gives them, Yahweh gave them an influence to remove. An event to remember, and then an influence to remove. We talked about this a lot last week, but notice how strong these words are in verse 7 about the removal of, of leaven. Of an unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders. That last line is actually new. Before he said, you can't eat unleavened bread. Okay, got that. And he said, and you can't even have any leaven in your house. Okay, got that. We get to chapter 13, and he said, you can't even have any leaven anywhere in the land. Wow. They're serious about this thing. Because it's meant to give us the picture of the need for complete forsaking of sin. A need to sift through whatever influences in our lives may cause us to stumble. And that's an ongoing, an ongoing uh, thing that we do. For the nation of Israel, it would become a party for the kids to search through the house. Um, after they would, had cleaned out, they would go and see, before the week began, there was actually a ceremony, a time where the kids would search and see if they could find any leaven. It's kind of like Easter eggs, but way more spiritual, right? And so it's a picture to us of how God's people have always meant to search our hearts. And consider, Lord, is this thing, which in and of itself may not be sinful, it may be amoral, non-moral, but God, for me, maybe it has become a profound stumbling block. We talked a lot about this two weeks ago, so I won't say too much more there. An influence to remove, but those are definite actions that we take to join in our sanctification. If you have ever put a filter on your internet, that is a definite action, right, to help serve your sanctification right? If you have ever taken your laptop outside and shot it or thrown it away, okay, I'd, it's going to be tough to get by if you do that, but there is a time to cut off your hand, right? Or whatever. I love families and I've known families who for seasons of their life or maybe for, for um, enduring years of their life uh, haven't had or don't have televisions because they have decided that is the thing, right? Uh, Molly and I, when we were in seminary, we had a season in our life that our TV was underneath our coffee table. Um, although it was probably not so much for spiritual reasons, it was mostly because there just wasn't enough room in our apartment. 
But we, we, it was hard to watch it because you have to move furniture around and take it out and plug it in. And so you got to decide, do I really want to just sit down and do that? Well, we weren't super spiritual, but it was a help. You have an event to remember. You have an influence to remove. And thirdly and finally, you have a word to proclaim. That is a definite action. You know what I love about going through this here in Exodus is it reminds me of something that I forget so often. And it is that the sharing of my faith is certainly for the goal of the salvation of another soul. It is certainly for the glory of God. But you know what else? It's also for the good of my soul. A word to proclaim. Three things I want you to notice about that word to proclaim. I want you to notice that it's personal. Look at verse 8. It's personal. You shall tell your son on that day saying, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Don't you love that? The Israelites were commanded. Don't tell them it's because of what God did for us. He saved the whole nation, Junior. So cool. No, you're to say it's because of what God did for me. He brought me out of slavery. He brought me out of bondage. This word to proclaim is a personal word, just like your testimony, your witness, to be able to say to others, let me tell you what Christ has done in my life. Let me tell you about what it was like before about how I was a slave and how the things that I hated doing, I did. And the things that I wanted to do, I couldn't. A word to proclaim. Second, it is personal, but it's also doctrinal. It's doctrinal. Verse 9, and it shall serve, it being this um, feast of unleavened bread and this recitation of what happened, it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. What a fascinating description that God gives through Moses. You are going to proclaim the law. What do you mean? You're going to proclaim the ordinances of God. Junior, this is what God has commanded us to do so that we should never forget what he has done for us. This identifies us more than anything else. Question, parents, do your children understand that they are more identified by who God is in your household and your faith in God than anything else. My guess would be we would all nod our heads and say yes because of what our commitment, our desire is. But it's good to step back and say, well, but where are my actual actions? What do I get most excited about? I mean, my kid scores a goal, I jump up and down on the sidelines. They know who that kid's dad is, right? But do we get just as excited about their spiritual victories? Even the little ones. Even, even just the conviction of sin when they come back to you humble and they say, you know what, i got to confess something to you. Do you jump up and down in excitement for that? Because that's what we're meant to do. And in so doing, you, you have a word to proclaim to them. This is what we were meant for, Junior. This is the life that God has purchased for you and for me. By the way, here, when it says it'll be a sign to you on your hand and a reminder on your forehead, this passage, and we're going to see the same thing repeated in the next section, is um, I think it's the genesis of where the, uh, the Jewish rabbis got the idea of the phylacteries, uh, the tefillin. You familiar with the phylacteries? Um, it's a little box that uh, observant Jews would put on their heads, and it would be tied by a cord, one right here on the forehead between the eyes, and then the other one typically on the left arm, I don't know why the left, but on one 
hand, not both, just one. And um, in it, in many cases, would be little uh, slips of paper of scripture, often this verse in Exodus 13. Why? Because here it says, this will be a sign on your hand, and this will be a reminder on your forehead. Um, but it doesn't mention any boxes. So I think the rabbis have maybe gone too far. What is the phylactery in the Bible? What is the reminder? Answer, it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it is the recitation of the words. It is the, the personal testimony from parent to child of what Yahweh did for me. This is the, this is the law shall be in your mouth, the recitation of true events of God's word. Finally and lastly, lastly this is my favorite of this, of this section about a word to proclaim. It's personal, it's doctrinal, and it's beneficial. It's beneficial. Uh, uh, who is the sign for? It says, it shall, serve, it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead so that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Why do we teach our children? Well, because Colossians commands us, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, so I kind of don't have a choice. Right, sure, because it's commanded. But you know one of the other reasons, parents, you disciple your children? It's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. Because the recitations of the law of God in your mouth, the, the speaking of the testimonies of what God has done for you are good for you, Right? It's good for me to sit with my children. Like, I don't really want to carve out time before I go to church or before I go to work or at, at the end of the day to spend time or open the Bible or sing a song or whatever. Yes, it's hard. But I can't tell you a time that it hasn't been good for me to do it. Has it been good for them? I don't know. But I know it's been good for me. Why do we share the gospel? with coworkers, because we care for their souls. Oh, God, grant us your burden for lost people that we would care for souls. And because we care for the glory of God. Oh, Lord, grant us the grace not to build our kingdoms, but to build your kingdom and to love the glory of God. But you know the other reason we do it? For the good of our own soul. We share the gospel for the good of our own soul. Question, think back to the last time you got the opportunity to open your mouth and speak about Jesus with somebody. Question, did you walk away depressed? I seriously doubt it. Even if they said no, even if they rejected you. In fact, even if they go, you're a fruitcake. You probably walked away like the disciples did in Acts chapter 4 and you said, yes, because I was considered worthy to suffer for the sake of the name. Yes, Lord, that was glorious to be a vessel of, of your truth, to speak to another person. Oh, oh, Lord, would you give me that chance again? I loved that. That's going to be the best thing I do all day. It's going to be the best thing I do all week. We share the gospel for the sake of our own souls. Join in your sanctification through definite actions. You have an event to remember, an influence to remove, and a word to proclaim. Well, third and final ordinance we'll look at now. It's a new memorial for the nation that begins at this time with the coming out of the people. And herein we learn to remember that you are not your own. Remember that you are not your own. This is the redemption of the firstborn. Pick up in verse 11. 
Now, when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites, see, look, he's already giving them commands in hope. You're going to be in the land one day. Here's what you're going to do. When the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and your fathers, and he gives it to you, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb and the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to the Lord. But every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. If you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead, there it is again, with a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. You know what Yahweh told parents to tell their children every year for generations? God killed the firstborn in Egypt. You know what, the book of Exodus is filled with sober truths, isn't it? Parents, we should make a commitment to our children. I'll never lie to you, especially not about the things of God. No matter how hard they may be to hear or difficult for me to say. Because apparently, God thinks kids need to hear them. In order to become part of the life of the nation... These children were to be trained up, hearing and knowing on that night the death angel passed through the land and killed every firstborn which was not under the sign of the blood. Huh. Charles Spurgeon has a great little comment on this note. Children need to learn the doctrine of the cross, Spurgeon says. What a mercy it will be if our children are thoroughly grounded in the doctrine of redemption by Christ. Some talk to children about being good boys and girls and so on. That is to say, they preach the law to children. Be good. Though they would preach the gospel to grown-up people. Is this honest? Is this wise? Children need the gospel. The whole gospel. The unadulterated gospel. They ought to have it. And if they are taught of the Spirit of God... They are as capable of receiving it as persons of ripe years. Teach the little ones that Jesus died, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. Great exhortation there by Spurgeon. Where does that idea come from? The indoctrination of children comes from Yahweh. He told us to indoctrinate our children. And in so doing, we are to remember that we are not the Lord. I'm sorry, we are not our own. Two notes here under this quickly. First, first note that all are the Lord's. All are the Lord's. Because in this passage, the first are the Lord's. Here he says in verse 12, that we are to devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb, the first offspring of every beast that you own, the males belong to the Lord. You say, well, but that's just the first. Those are the Lord's, and they are to be devoted to the Lord. But understand that that is a sign, and that is a symbol. If the first to open the womb belongs to the Lord, it is a demonstration that all that follow belong to the Lord. 
We know, in fact, that not only are the firstborn redeemed here in Exodus 13, it gives the law for how to redeem the firstborn child to buy it back, as it were. But not only are the firstborn redeemed, the entire nation is redeemed. Deuteronomy 7 uses exactly those words of this generation. We also know that the entire nation of Israel is called God's firstborn. That's what he said back in Exodus when Moses came to Pharaoh. And he said, look, Israel is my firstborn son. And because you won't let my son go, your firstborn will be forfeit. It's so, so it's the whole nation which is the firstborn. All are the Lord's because the first are the Lord's. And second, what does he give them? This is a brand new memorial. It's a sacrifice for remembering. That's the second thing to note. It, this is a sacrifice for remembering. I want you to notice something that's really cool here in the Hebrew in verse 12. You shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. Um, you know what the word devote is in Hebrew? Pass over. Is that cool or what? You who have been passed over because in faith you've come under the blood, you are now to pass over your first to God. It's a different word, but it means the exact same thing as Passover, as mentioned twice in Exodus 12. So what would they do then in light of that? Every clean animal, the goats and the oxen and the sheep, they would be sacrificed. The firstborn would be sacrificed. It was a gift given back to God. God owns them. They're his. So this was a different event. It just didn't happen necessarily at a, at a special time every year. Whenever there was a birth for a brand new mama in the flock or in the herd, then that little one was taken and sacrificed, that first male, because everything was God's, and it was their constant reminder. By the way, that's just the very beginning of the, of the giving of first fruits to God, which will eventually also include all of their income, uh, plants and, and crops and, and other kinds of things yet to come. But it was a sacrifice for them to consistently remember, we're not our own. This belongs for God, and he has called for it. And in fact, the second and the third and the fifth and all the girls that come, they are all God's, and so are you, and so am I. Do you know, do you know what is one of the wonderful commitments of being a believer, one of the wonderful privileges? If you think of this only as a negative thing, I hope you'll be encouraged, because I can do the same. Giving. Giving. You know, when you give to the Lord each month, you know what that ought to do positively in your soul? It's to remind you, um, this money is not mine. In fact, all the rest of the money that I'm keeping to feed my family and drive my car and whatever, that's not mine either. In fact, nothing I own is mine. But he has commanded me to give him a peace as a reminder, as a memorial that all that I am is his. And he can call for it at any point. And that's a great way to live. It's a great reminder that I need regularly, and maybe you do too. A sacrifice for remembering of the firstborn of the clean animals. And then there's a mention of the unclean animal, the donkey. What's interesting, uh, what's done in the case of the donkey, probably the most commonly used unclean animal in the nation of Israel. God allowed him to keep the firstborn. God allowed them to keep, but what did they have to do? They had to redeem it with a lamb. So they made a sacrifice of a lamb, and they kept the donkey. If they didn't sacrifice the lamb, did you catch it? What did you do with the donkey? You had to break its neck. Wow, that sounds so brutal. Why did you say it that way? Probably because 
the way that the donkey is, is meant to be executed is so that there is no question, this is not a sacrifice to the Lord. The donkey is an unclean animal. It cannot be sacrificed. But you can't keep it either. You have to kill it. So it was swift, and it was clear that this wasn't a, a worship act kind of a thing. Um, my guess would be there probably weren't a lot of people in the nation of Israel who had to break, break donkeys' necks, right? Because they're like, well, we've got to go get a lamb if we're going to keep the donkey. The clean animals, mention of an unclean animal, finally the baby boy. You don't kill it, you don't sacrifice it. Some critical commentators have mentioned that, and it is blasphemous. No, but it does have to be redeemed. Exodus, by the way, doesn't tell us any detail of how it is to be redeemed. Some would say because it comes right after the donkey, the understanding is that a lamb is meant to be put in the place of that firstborn baby boy. And actually, that's a beautiful picture of the gospel and of Christ, the lamb, except when you get to Numbers 18, there's actually a different redemption that is given at that point. Five coins. Remember Joseph and Mary carrying a little baby boy all wrapped up? going up to the temple on the eighth day. They saw Anna, they saw Simeon, and what did they have in their hand? Five shekels going to redeem their baby boy. If there's anybody who ever didn't need redemption, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But they were faithful Israelites to keep this command. The point is that a sacrifice has to be made, a payment has to be made to buy back the firstborn who is the firstborn? Every believer now. Hebrews 12, 23, we are now the assembly of the firstborn. Every Christian is now a firstborn. A sacrifice was made for you. A sacrifice was made for me. And every time we celebrate it or commemorate it, it is to be our reminder that we are not our own. May the Lord God Invest into our lives memorials, tiny ones, small ones, little things you do every way, every day, and maybe big ones, maybe, maybe family-sized ones, maybe community-sized ones, maybe small group-sized or church-wide-sized memorials as you gather on a Sunday morning or other times, that by those memorials, he might shape us into faithful lives. Stand with me and let's close in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you so very much that you have built into us modes of remembrance because we are people quickly forgetful. Our, our attention is pulled away by uh, a 10-second video on a tiny little rectangle, rectangular screen, and everything that happened before flies out of our heads. And so, Lord, I need it. Thank you for the joy of gathering with your people to sing your praise to commemorate your son's death for us and to come under your word. Lord, would you help our decisions, our choices, and our habits be ones that please you because we live unto you and may they shape us for you. Lord, if any yet today have not come under the blood of Christ, may they know what a good God and what a forgiving father you are to draw them near and might they come with open hands and in, in fullness of honesty and say, I, I need that. I need that, that blood, that sacrifice, that memorial for me. And would you save them? Be with us this week, we ask for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.